children are going to go out there and be inspired. The joy of learning is so apparent when they're outside. And that's what we want them to, we want them to be excited about learning. I mean, you can, you can give them all the tests and all the worksheets and all the textbooks in the world, but if they aren't excited about it, if they don't have an interest in it, they're not gonna do as well. Welcome to the Movable Podcast, where we interview using education, movement, and play from around the world. Here's your host, my daddy, Brian Lane. Today's guest is the co-founder of the first forest kindergarten in the state of Tennessee, the Wauhatchee School. She's also the founder, director, and lead trainer of the Forest School Teacher Institute which since 2015 has trained over 150 teachers from around the world. Here to talk more about forest schools, please welcome Jean Lamino. Jean, thank you for taking the time out to talk to us. Brian, it's just a, it's a privilege to do it. I'm glad, I'm glad I get to talk. <laughs> yeah, especially during, I know we were just saying your school just opened the other day, so I know things are, they've been busy, but I'm sure they're getting even busier now, right? Well, busier and, and yet at the same time, uh, everything's going so well that we kind of are all breathing a collective sigh of relief because of the, the COVID guidelines that we've had to institute even as an outdoor school. So it's changed. It's changed the way we do things here a little bit. Yeah. Can you explain some of those guidelines that you have? Because yeah. I would assume they're a slightly different from in-person classes in school. Absolutely. Yeah. The The biggest difference, of course, is that our children are outside all day. And um, we have a, a full day program for kindergarten through third grade this year. And uh, in the past, the children have spent probably five hours outside, four to five hours, and then they come in for the last hour, hour and a half. Oh, okay. And some of their more academic drill work kinds of uh, activities. But we decided this year, because of COVID, we were going to say we are outside all day long. Mm -hmm. and so that's been an adjustment for our teachers, you know, learning how to teach everything in an outdoor setting. And of course, uh, being out in all weather, which is one of the uh, very important parts of forest school philosophy is that children are outside no matter what the weather is. Hmm. But that does present a challenge when the weather is extreme, which fortunately in this part of Tennessee, we don't have a lot of that. Okay. But it's still, a, it's a bit of a challenge to figure out how we can keep them outside and still meet standards because we tell our parents that even though this is an outdoor school, we want the children to be prepared to transfer into whatever schooling situation they will from here. Yeah. And that's so cool that you guys have that perspective on outdoors because I know mo most of us, if it's raining outside, we're like, oh, it's raining outside. We can't go outside. What are right. we going to do inside today? Right. Where you guys are like, embrace whatever it is that's coming your way and, yeah. and use it. Exactly. And, you know, there, there are several reasons for that. One is, I think that it typically helps children grow to become more adaptable and resilient, for sure, because they're out there in the rain and, it's, you know, cold weather, hot weather. Uh, and it also uh, helps them have a stronger connection with nature. Because when you're out there in all the elements, you see nature as it's you know, interacting with the elements as well, how the birds and the animals, what they do when it's raining and cold and hot. 
So it just it just increases that that connection, that oneness with being with the rest of the world. Is that an adjustment for kids when they first start is getting used to what we would call bad weather and staying outside? Is that tough for some kids? Well, yeah, but I think they're in a minority because mm-hmm. most children, they want to be outside all the time. Yep. And you know, the favorite weather for them here is rain. They really? love it when it's raining. Oh my goodness. There's With puddles and mud and puddles and just watching the, the rain coming down and how it drips off the trees. And, you know, it's just, an, it's a fascinating time for them. So also a very big part of this is dressing appropriately. So, you mm-hmm. know, that old saying, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. <laughs> so parents are uh, have have a very detailed list of the proper rain gear, the proper clothing for cold weather. Um, so the children always come in rain gear, mm-hmm. a rain jacket, rain pants, and rain boots. And then depending on the temperature, they layer up underneath that. Okay. So they're comfortable for the most part. There are days when it's cold and rainy. Those are probably the most difficult times. Yep. But even then, they're they're out just having the best time. And here's the teacher's job is to watch the children. They they take notice if a child is obviously very cold, and they take measures to help the child warm up. So whether that's around a fire, changing their clothes, putting on dry clothes, whatever they need to do to make sure the children are safe. That's yeah. their job. And now I'm assuming that you guys have like a, almost like a lost and found bin where you have oh, we extra do. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. And it grows every year, of course. Oh yeah. So that's, a but I mean, yeah. yeah, you have to have that though, because I, I would assume people forget sometimes parents might forget to pack exactly. certain things. Yeah. We all do. It happens. It does. All the teachers do try to check carefully when the children arrive to make sure they are properly uh, outfitted with the right clothes. And Brian, if you want to go back to the COVID again, I was going to explain just that's that's one of them, of course. That's one of our our guidelines is the children are outside, completely outside, except for emergencies. So we have an emergency shelter for all of our children. Okay. Uh, extreme lightning, thunderstorms, heavy winds. That's when we go okay. outside. And, if and that's an indoor building, enclosed building? Yes, in, okay. in enclosed buildings. Yep. And we know ahead of time that it's going to be extreme weather. We sometimes cancel school. You know, oh, okay. point. if it's going to be like all day long and it's really extreme, then we don't we don't try to do school. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah, so we have on this campus, we actually have four sites for Wahatchee School in the Chattanooga area. And our main site is Reflection Riding Arboretum and Nature Center. So we have about um, 100 students here on this site, uh, okay. which includes our older children in the afternoons. We have homeschool groups as well for ages seven mm. to 12 this year. Okay. Wow. So, yeah. So we have a lot of children and we make sure that we have enough emergency shelter for everyone. Um, The children, when they check in in the morning, uh, the parents and the children and the teachers have to be wearing masks at the check-in time. So they do the the touchless uh, thermometer, check temperatures, ask uh, the parents, uh, give them a little survey concerning the health of the family. And if everyone is good and there are no problems, then the teachers uh, help the child get out of the car. So this is all done inside a car, which is different hmm. for us. Yeah. So the parents remain in the car and then the child is uh, taken to their class. Hmm. And we keep the classes separate. That's another guideline. So we don't have more than 14 in a group. That's our largest group with two teachers. 
Okay. And uh, the teachers uh, can divide them up again into smaller groups during the day, depending on what they're doing. So those are the main, those are the main guidelines that we follow. We all have, each child has their own separate utensils, writing utensils, uh, writing instruments, paper, whatever, in their own bins. So there's not sharing of things, which is also another guideline that we're trying to follow. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. It's obviously much, much less complicated than it would be in an indoor setting. And that's the beauty. That's the beauty of what we're doing. And I think that's what's created a surge of interest in forest school. So much so that this year we've added third grade. We didn't intend to do that. But there was hmm. so much interest that we decided to go ahead and add third grade to our full wow. program. So we So you probably have a a lot of returning Kids who yeah. were in second grade last year that are quite a few. Although I think probably uh, our majority of our enrollment is new this year. Well, that's exciting, uh, though. Yeah, so many of them have come in from uh, the public schools because obviously te- parents are out there looking for alternatives, and mm-hmm. and this is such a great alternative. Uh, so we have seen a real increase in the number of students. Yeah, um, and so much so that we not only did we add third grade, but we've expanded our groups so that we've doubled our preschool numbers, and also our full day program have more than doubled. Wow! So, do you have a lot of kids that? Because, but previous to this year, you're doing K through two, right? That's did you right. have a lot of students that stayed well, that have been yeah. with you from? Okay. Quite a few. Uh, actually, it was just K to one last year. Oh, okay. The plan was to add second grade this year, which we've hmm. done, and then we went ahead and added third grade. Wow. Our vision is to have a K to five uh, outdoor school here. That's great. Long term vision. So we're just getting there a little faster than we anticipated. <laughs> yeah, which is awesome. Good for you guys. Yeah, yep. it's a good thing. So to, to backtrack a little bit, do you want to tell us how it even got started? How did your oh, school yeah. get started? Oh, I, I love to tell my story. It's And, <laughs> you know, this is the exciting thing about my training, too, is I, I get to hear stories from many different teachers who have found themselves here at Forest School and how that all happened. And actually, I've been a classroom teacher <clears throat> for 20 odd years and uh, a, a professor at a university uh, teaching graduate students in outdoor education for a number of years. And then oh, I'm cool. a nature center director. I was actually the executive director of Reflection Writing Arboretum and Nature Center for about nine years. So I kind of came home when we moved our main site to this campus. So in about 2014, I decided it was time to retire. And that was my plan. I was going to just do some consultant work and do some training. And uh, my little grandson, who was about two at the time, was attending a child care center just down the road from Reflection Writing at Lookout Lake. And uh, the idea occurred to me, you know, I'd love to see him in a forest kindergarten, kind of like you, Brian. Yeah. I said, I want him to have this experience. So maybe I'll just start one. Hmm. So I talked to Diana um, Meadows, who is the, uh, who owns the property with her family. And she was running the childcare center where my grandson was attending. And it's this beautiful 50-acre farm, just spectacular with a lake and a creek and meadows and woods. And uh, I said, would you be interested? She said, yes, let's do it. Wow. So that was was 2014. Uh, I did my training with Erin Kinney at Cedar Song Nature School out in the Seattle area. I was 
privilege to spend uh, several days with her and came back. Uh, that was in February. In April, we did a pilot program with the children that were already in the daycare. So we hmm. had our little group of students already. So we said, well, try it out, see how it works. And we got permission from the parents to do a forest school with, as a part of their childcare. And during that time, Brian, I actually trained my first teacher. Hmm. Uh, Charity Burnett joined us for that pilot program. And she was instrumental in starting the first forest kinder kindergarten program in a public school, we think, in the nation. Wow. Time, that was 2015. Okay. So she started that program at uh, Gilbert Elementary School in Lafayette, Georgia. Okay. And it was a true forest kindergarten where the children spent half their day outside and half their day indoors. Every, wow. Every day. So, so, and that was in conjunction with other teachers who were just doing the traditional classroom exactly, setting. Okay. Exactly. They cool. had, I want to say they had four or five four, uh, kindergarten programs. And so she was the one that was doing the forest kindergarten. Since that time, now they've expanded to two forest kindergarten classes and two forest first grade classes. Oh, wow. So it's an exciting program there. Yeah. Well, we, we did the pilot program. Everybody loved it. The families were excited. The kids loved it. Um, and so we opened our doors uh, to the first, ten, first Tennessee forest kindergarten in September of 2015. Wow. We had 15 children altogether, and that included... Um, homeschool children, so about a dozen, maybe 10 uh, young children, and then four or five older children. Hmm. So yeah, and we stayed there for a couple of years. The program continued to grow. And uh, then we decided to move our main campus to Reflection Riding. And, um, and we still kept our program at Lookout Lake. And then uh, the next year, two organizations came to me and said, would you start a forest kindergarten on our sites? So one was Ivy Academy, which is a public charter school. It's an environmental education charter school in Hamilton County here in Chattanooga. And the other was Audubon Acres, which is another nature preserve on the other side of town. Hmm. So that then those became our four sites. And uh, last year, our enrollment was about 123 this year, the last I heard, we're at 140 or above, 140 wow. students with all four of those sites. Yeah. And obviously continuing to grow from there, probably. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, we feel like we're kind of at our, uh, at our max capacity for all of our sites right now. Mm -hmm. I don't intend to add another site, but that's always a possibility. Yeah. My, right now, my focus is on helping public schools create okay. their own forest school programs. Um, last year, Reflection Riding Arboretum and Nature Center and Wauhatchee School received a partnership grant from one of our largest foundations here in Chattanooga. And the grant was uh, given to us so that we could train other teachers in public schools in particular to do force kindergarten and also create a site at Reflection Riding where public school teachers could bring their students if they did not have a site on their campus. So we we really delved into this, and January of last year, of this year, uh, we got it started, and then of course in March everything closed. Yeah. So, but since that time, the good news is more and more public schools here in our area are very interested in this. We have several more who have joined uh, 
doing the forest kindergarten programs at their public school sites. So that's very exciting to me. And that's kind of been my vision all along. Hmm. I want this to be available to every single child, no matter what background, what income level they come from. Wahatchee School is obviously a private school. So, we, you know, there's a tuition to attend here. But I, I, I want to see it far beyond that. Yeah. This is all that's, exciting to me. Yeah, I love that because I'm on the same boat as you. Like, obviously, being a public school teacher right now, I see the value that this could have in public schools. And it's, it's tough because I think it's amazing to have these four schools popping up all over the country. But the amount of kids that are still at a public school that could benefit from this, absolutely, it's, it's huge numbers that, especially now with all this COVID stuff going on, this is and, a perfect time to take that leap and try it. Absolutely. And you know what? Those are the children that need it the most. Yep. I mean, our, the families that come to us already love being outside and the children already are in that way of thinking. And But the children who don't have opportunities, who don't even have a yard to play in, or the ability to, to go anywhere, you know, they're the ones that are desperate for this. And, and, and I'm just so, I'm, I'm so concerned about what's happening to children as you are. Mm-hmm. Physically, the physical challenges are enormous right now. We know we have the, probably the unhealthiest children and who knows how long in the United States. I mean, you're they're, right. They're, they're suffering the chronic diseases that used to be just adult diseases and now children have them. Mm-hmm. And we know, and that they're probably. Nope, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say that our, our children are more insulated from nature and being outside than they've ever been. Yep, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, they're inside more than they've ever been. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And they're and they spend so much of their time on screens, and and they're just losing all of the benefits that are just right there. <laughs> you know, the sunshine and the fresh air, and and the opportunity to run and move and. And something else, Brian, that I've discovered that I like to share with parents and teachers and administrators is not only do they receive the physical benefits, but the social, emotional and cognitive benefits are enormous. There's research out there that shows that children have who have opportunities to learn outside do better academically. They, they have they have context for their learning. They have real experiences. And that's something you can't provide in a simulated environment. You just can't do it. Exactly. So, and, and it's language rich. That's huge too. Yep. These children are constantly talking to each other. They're problem solving together. They're working in teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's amazing to see children grow that way in this mm-hmm. setting. Yeah. And anyone, I would say to any doubters out there, anyone who may not believe this, just take a walk with a, with a school-aged kid or, or younger outside anywhere, but especially through the woods or down trails. And you'll see just how curious they are, how many good questions they ask, and all the benefits of that. Absolutely. Yeah, and the social and the emotional benefits are enormous too. Uh, I'd like to tell people that probably my greatest desire and greatest uh, goal for these children is that they will leave becoming, they will be compassionate, caring respectful people in this world. They'll care about each other and they'll care about the earth. And I see that as a huge benefit of of this experience. And a lot of it I I attribute to being able to be silent. 
I mean, silence is just, it's missing in, in our culture right now. You're right. We're and in an overstimulated culture. Yeah. And opportunities for children just to sit and think their own thoughts. Our children, for the most part, start with a sit spot every day, even little tiny children. They sit quietly and they observe and they listen hmm. and they think. And, and we just, we all need that. But they yeah. need it too. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I even noticed, it's funny watching um, cartoons and stuff like that with my son now. If I watch something that's from 10 or 20 years ago and compare it, watch a cartoon, let's say from yeah. 10 or 20 years ago, compare it to something now. The noises and the amount of like scene changes and all kinds of stuff that happen in the new ones, it's it's overwhelming to me now when I watch it because it's just like bangs and crashes and music and all kinds of crazy stuff going on every single millisecond during something that's on TV just to keep the kids' attention and get their attention. That like you said, we're missing the opportunity just to sit and listen to nature and, and be quiet. Yeah, it's ama- it's amazing what nature provides for us. Just literally, if we just take advantage of it, and I think during this during this time in particular, I think people are have have rediscovered that time that they can be outside and and watching children outside for the first time in probably long long time. Yep. And I think that's another reason that we're seeing this huge interest in forest school because parents all of a sudden maybe they're remembering. They're remembering being children outside and realize that, you know, the, the kids are missing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if not to bring up another movie or cartoon, but I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Wally. Oh, before. That's my, yes. That's my favorite one. Yeah. I, what you just said reminded me of when they're, they're like riding around in their little cars on the spaceship and then the screen goes away and they kind of look around in amazement like, whoa, what is this place that I'm in? They've been so focused and had that tunnel vision on the screen and what's in front of them. They're missing out on the whole world. Absolutely. And I use that often when I when I kind of describe what we're what we might be looking for in the future if we don't do something now. And part of the thing that that struck me about that little movie is too that these people they can't even walk. Yeah. I mean they have been so tied to screens and sitting down that they can't even move on their own. Mm-hmm. And that's frightening, but you know what? It's happening. Yep. Uh, there's a great book called Balanced and Barefoot, Angela Batson. I don't know if you're familiar with it. She's an occupational therapist, and she did a great deal of research on the physical issues that children are experiencing right now and okay. how being out in nature will help them, you know, deal with all of these difficulties they're facing. And one thing that just struck me so strongly when I first read the book, she talks about children in a classroom, young children who actually can't sit in a chair. And it's not Whoa. because they, they're they not interested or, or they're doing it for fun. They actually don't have the core strength to sit for any period of time in a chair without Wow. And that's really That's thing. scary. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Hmm. Yeah, that, 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 just that little fact alone made me realize that the benefits of allowing children to, to run and, and experience all those physical activities outdoors just for that reason, just for core strength, how important that is beyond all many others. Now, I've talked to a lot of people about this, and it seems like we all are under the same understanding that classroom teachers nowadays in a traditional school setting are in a tricky position because I think that I think that the majority of them agree with what you're saying 
with all the benefits of that type of education and being outside more often. But I think a lot of them are worried that if they spend too much time doing that, that their kids are going to fall behind and that's going to reflect on their, their teaching ability and it's, it might make them look bad. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, that's, and that's a very, you're right. I mean, that, that is the question. And, and I get it often from, from public school teachers. That's their concern. And I totally understand that. Being a classroom teacher myself for so many years, I get it. But here's what I like to say. Children are going to go out there and be inspired. The joy of learning is so apparent when they're outside. And that's what we want them to, we want them to be excited about learning. I mean, you can, you can give them all the tests and all the worksheets and all the textbooks in the world, but if they aren't excited about it, if they don't have an interest in it, they're not going to do as well. Again, Mm -hmm. the way the old academic uh, mindset was give them the facts. They have to learn these facts. They have to learn these concepts and then they're going to be successful people. Research does not support that. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, a, a knowledge base is important. We know that. Everybody has to know a certain amount of, of, of facts and skills. They have to have certain skills. But more than that, they have to be motivated learners. There's mm-hmm. a great study, and I'm sorry I can't remember who the authors of the study are, but it was done a few years ago, and it, it might have been in Europe. I can't remember. But here's what they found out that they, they studied these children that are in forest kindergartens and forest schools and compared them to children who were not in those schools. And over a period of years, it was a longitudinal study. Over a period of years, they found that the children who had participated in forest school did better academically and professionally than those that were not. Hmm. By studying the factors involved, what they found out, it was determination and grit that made them more successful. Those are the exact things children learn outdoors. Yep. Again, the weather, being out there in all weather, uh, they're working always on some kind of a, a problem or uh, working as a team to build something and they keep at it and they keep at it. You know, it's the trial and error, the problem solving that's involved in that. And they just get that determination. And that's just so important. So determination, grit, and love of learning, that's what promotes academic success. I'm convinced of it. As a teacher myself, as a professor, as a researcher, I've seen it. I know what happens with children. And Mm -hmm. again, they can have a head full of knowledge that does not necessarily mean they're going to be successful. Yeah. And and that carries on into adulthood, too, because... I know there have been books written about this and research done on, um, what do you want to call it? Like military prospects, I guess, like kids that are graduating high school that want to go into West Point. They're constantly trying to figure out which type of assessments they can give them to to determine whether they'll be successful in the academy and in the military. And a lot of it weighs on those factors that you just talked about, like grit and determination, resilience. Right. Those are really hard things to artificially produce, I guess. It's hard. It's hard in an enclosed indoor setting to give them a worksheet that teaches them how to do that. It's it's not necessarily possible, but it happens very naturally in the outdoor environment where you don't have to force the issue. Exactly. And there's another study about uh, the fact that the skills that children are learning in this environment are the skills that are the 21st century skills. 
Yep. This is what employers are looking for. They're not looking again for that head full of knowledge, although you have to have a certain amount because knowledge is in our hands now on a phone, on a computer. Mm -hmm. What they're looking for are people who are creative, who are team, who work as a team, who are adaptable, who are responsible, who are motivated. You know, it's those big, those big picture, what we used to call soft skills. That's what employers are looking for. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's what they learn out there. Mm-hmm. Naturally. <laughs> yep. We don't have to, teachers don't have to create an experience for them to, to gain these skills. It's part of being out there. It's just, it's just amazing. That's, you know, every time I, I go out to watch children and I try to get out there as often as I can to observe, just seeing them when they first get there in the morning, they've had their little sit spots and the teachers say, go explore. And then watching these little teams form. Hmm. And watching how children are very intent on a task, and it may be something they've been working on for several days, they go right back there. Whether it's creating a bridge across a creek, whether it's creating a shelter, just all kinds of interesting things that they are involved in. And they just migrate from team to team. Leadership migrates as well. So children, most all children have an opportunity to be a leader in some way in an outdoor setting. That's, that's huge. How would you describe the teacher's role in that environment outside? That's a great question. And and the teacher's role is to study the children. Hmm. That's the okay. basic one. You study the children. And particularly for our kindergarten through third grade teachers, their role is to study the children and watch what the children are interested in. Whatever the themes that emerge, and usually it's seasonal. So whatever's mm-hmm. happening in the spring, those typically become the learning themes. So the teachers are watching the children, and then their job is to find activities, projects for the children that connect with those themes that enrich and extend the learning into reading and writing and math and science and all of those academic uh, areas. Yeah. So it's backwards lesson planning. That's what Hmm. I call it. Yeah. So the teachers don't come up with the lessons to start with. They let the children guide it, which is constructivism, of course. Mm-hmm. So the children are directing their own learning and the teachers are there to assist them in that process and to create and give them things that they can do that just extend it and enrich hmm. it. Yeah, and that's where that joy of learning comes it from. It is, and it's a beautiful way to teach. I'm telling yep. you, teachers who, who adopt this model for their own teaching, they tell me this is the most fun they've ever had, the most relaxed they've ever been. They can really be teachers, facilitators of learning. And it just takes the pressure off. Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden you're, you're part of the team. So teachers are actually learning with the children and, and to be excited about it and curious about what the children are doing. You know what that does for you as a teacher and for the children. It's just, it's an amazing opportunity for teachers to really dig in and do what they really want to do. It's yep. beautiful. And it's funny that you say that because I think as as parents, that's what the vast majority of us do with our kids anyway. Our kids exactly. have interests and we find out what their interests are and we try to nurture them and still kind of gu- help guide them along the way and facilitate that exactly. where we're not trying to tell them, this is what I want you to like. This is what I want you to do. We, we walk alongside them and help them through it. Exactly. So I, I think that it just makes sense to do that in school too. It's just funny because I sometimes the uh, the objective that I hear to this type of approach is people think it's 
super progressive and uh, so hands off that the kids are just like a free for all and they do what they want and there isn't as much learning that takes place. But obviously we know that's not true, but the more we can educate people on that, the better. Exactly. It's rich learning. It is rich. And it's the kind of learning that stays with the children. It's not just learning something for a short period of time. It is lifetime learning, which makes lifelong learners, which is what we, that's our ultimate goal for children. Yep. And, and teachers, this is interesting too, Brian, because teachers who come for training with me typically have to unlearn what they learned about being a teacher. Because most of us went to college and whatever level we attained and we basically were taught the way teachers have been trained for so long. Yep. You know, that we're the guides. We're, I'm sorry, the sage. On we're the, the experts. Yeah, yep. the sage on the stage rather than the guide on the side. Hmm. We had to kind of let go of that control and give it to the children. And that's not always easy. Mm-hmm. But once teachers have gotten there, all of a sudden it's like this most freeing, you know, exciting experience for them. Yep. And I'm sure the kids feel like you said, more free because they feel like you can, you trust them. Yeah. That's a big part of forest school as well is trust. So the children learn to trust each other. They learn to trust the teacher and vice versa. So trust is a huge component of the forest school philosophy for sure. Risk taking is a whole other thing that we could talk about. Yeah. I was, I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. As far as risk taking and danger goes, like I've seen clips of, uh, uh, maybe this happens at your school, but I've seen clips of kids overseas and a forest school climbing trees way up in the air where most parents would have a heart attack if they saw that. But <laughs> I, know. but I, th- I think it's great. But I've I, seen those videos too. Yeah. Yeah. But we're not here at the United, in the United States. We're not there yet. Yeah. All um, right. We are, we really still have to be so concerned about liability issues. And I yep. think, yeah, I, I see things happening that, you know, approach maybe some of that a little bit more. But I think we're all very cautious as far as how much risk we allow the children to take. Um, We have certain rules for risk here. For instance, on climbing trees, especially the preschool children, they can go only twice their height. Oh, okay. That's as far up as they can go. And they know that. Uh, Any kind of risk, any risky behavior, any risky uh, activities that are involved in the teachers, very close. They're watching. And then you will often hear a teacher say, how are you feeling right now? Do you feel safe? So they're asking the children to assess how they're feeling about risk. But, you know, it's just critical that children are allowed to take risks. They can't they can't grow unless they're allowed to take risks. Mm -hmm. So it's finding the balance. It's it's recognize the difference between risk and hazard. And teachers are are trained to be able to assess whether something's a risk or a hazard. Um, but, but it's, that's another growth opportunity for children and it takes a while. It's Mm -hmm. fun to watch them when they first uh, experience a risky situation to see the children, the, some of them are ready to, uh, to assess it and, and take the challenge right away. Some of them have to ease into it. Mm -hmm. Part of that growth, the teacher there just to kind of observe it and make sure that the child is safe. That's our job. So I guess on that note, on a, on a side note, what are your thoughts on playgrounds, kind of the way that new playgrounds are being built and yeah. the shift that's happening there? Yeah. Well, I'm glad to see that there is a shift towards more natural elements because that's mm-hmm. really, truly important. And I, I believe in that. 
But we also know the research shows that more children are hurt on the playground than they're hurt out in the woods. And that's so true. Um, I, so we steer away from man-made anything in our forest schools, even nets and swings. We just don't do that. We want children to learn to use the, the natural, whatever nature has out there. So there's a lot of walking across logs and tree climbing and picking up heavy rocks and carrying them around, you know, so there's a lot of that that goes on. Um, but uh, playgrounds, you know, again, depending on how they're constructed, there's obviously more issues with children falling off of a man-made structure than mm-hmm. in, in nature. And of course, we have soft landings pretty much everywhere in nature. As yeah, well. I can tell you lots of stories about my experiences when I was in China. I was in China for a couple of months in Guangzhou, working okay. with first kindergarten there. And their idea of risk-taking was very different from what we experience here. And uh, amazingly, you know, le- they, they, they were concerned about risk much more than we are in China. Okay. And uh, so it was an interesting uh, experience to to work with those teachers and those parents. Hmm. I wouldn't have expected that. I guess I would have assumed they would have been the opposite there. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> huh. Okay. That was it. Was an interesting experience, but um, I was able to share some of my uh, ideas and some of the research that I think mm-hmm. helped them understand that that risk is okay. You know, yep. teachers are there to watch over their children. They're not going to allow them to take a risk that's, you know, that's beyond what they're capable of. Yeah. And I think that's a really important part there. I mean, I'm not one to solely rely on research all the time. I think sometimes to do the right thing, you have to put research aside and experiment a little bit, but it really helps to have a growing body of research in these areas to justify what you're doing. Exactly. That's exactly right. And a lot of it, a lot of it's intuitive too, Brian. I was going to tell you that. Most of it, you know, as adults, we intuitively know when a child is crossing that line, that they're doing something that's going to really involve an injury of some kind. So we also have to rely on our own intuitive sense. But the the, the danger there is that some of us are, as parents and as a grandparent, in my case, we tend to be overly protective. And so our first reaction is, oops, watch, be careful. So yep. it's been a learning experience for me to stand back and, and allow children to take more and more risk as long again as there's no hazard involved. Yep. Yeah. And I th- it's it's funny because I think the culture, our culture and our country as a whole has been moving that way for years now where we always joke with our friends like, man, when we were younger, our parents didn't even know what we were doing half the time outside. <laughs> and now your parents are holding your hand when it seems like you're 10 years old when you're walking across the street when before you'd be four years old running across the street by yourself. So it's just interesting that shift. Interesting. It is. And of course, nature has its own set of risks that you don't have on a playground or in a backyard even. And so the children, one of the first things they learn when they come to our forest school is they learn to identify poison ivy. They know what it looks like. They know that they're touching it. And if they do, they tell the teacher right away and the teacher makes sure they get washed off immediately. So knock Hmm. on wood, we've not had a case of poison ivy and this is our sixth year. Wow, that's great. Yeah, they're they're learning well and they pay attention to it. We talk about snakes. We do have two venomous snakes here in this part of Tennessee. So they know what they look like. And any snake, actually, the rule is if they see a snake, they immediately tell the teacher and the teacher goes to look at it. You know, and the hmm. children, if it's not venomous, they'll gather around and, and they'll take a look. 
Hmm. Um, ticks are an issue here as well. So yeah, hey, I was going to ask. Identify those. Uh, so really, you know, that's that's the extent of the risks that we that we look for. Mm-hmm. They also do a site assessment every day before they take their children out just to make sure there aren't any hanging limbs from a tree or something that could be a, a hazard. Mm-hmm. So as far as uh, teachers like me go right now who are in a public school right now, but we see the value of this, we want to implement it. And preferably, we want to start doing stuff this school year. Before we get into the teacher training part of it, right? Are there any, is there anything that we could do to kind of navigate through all the hoops that we might have to jump through at school just to start taking our kids outside more? Do you have any tips for that kind of stuff? I think I think probably the best thing to do is to take it slowly. Mm-hmm. You know, start out with small, you know, short periods of time outside, uh, so people kind of get used to the idea. I, don't, I think sometimes we we are some of us get so passionate about this that we want to just jump in and and do it all. Yeah, revamp uh, everything. Yeah, so I feel like yep. for everyone, it's it's very wise to take small steps. And uh, you know, a lot of teachers have said to me, "Well, we don't have a space." And what I like to share is that even the smallest space that's natural is is a place to start, mm-hmm. because truly some schools don't have much green space on their, on their campus. We have one here yeah, you're right. that it's like that. So hmm. I, that's what I encourage you to do is look for even just a patch of grass or a tree or some kind of a little garden area. Start there, start small, get the children used to being outside, make it fun for them, give them opportunities to enjoy that space and then just move from there. And, and I think if enough parents see it and they want this for their children and you get the administrators to buy into it. Teachers, some of them are already there and know this is what kids need. I think it's 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 one of those things where you have to start from the ground up and the top down as much as you can. Mm-hmm. So getting buy-in. And families really do drive a lot of this, I think, because parents, they know what their children need. And I think more and more of them see this. And if they can express that to their teachers and administrators, I think that's a great way to start. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, what's what's interesting from my perspective, being a phys ed teacher, it's a little bit different from what classroom teachers might like to get out of a forced school approach. So, so for me, we kind of talked about some of those skills that kids learn naturally when they're outside. I feel the same way with movement skills as well, because I I'm very much into the whole fitness side of physical yeah. education and everything. Yes, and the trend now is to try to teach kids rotational movements and rolling and all that kind of stuff, which is awesome. But I think the vast majority of that happens when kids are just playing freely outside and they wouldn't have to be taught those in a, in a, uh, artificial setting, I guess you could say if they spent more time outside playing freely. So what's tricky for me in phys ed is I don't want to take the approach of allowing kids to have more unstructured free play and have people think that it's my lazy way out. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, you guys go play over there. And there's no learning involved because I know how much learning can be done when they have that, that time set aside for unstructured play. So because of that, I want to take the kids outside more often and give them more opportunities to play freely outside like that. Right. Um, So it's just, it's tricky because I, w- I want to implement as much of this this school year as I can, but I need to figure out the right way to do it so that it doesn't come across as, yeah, just kind yeah. of uh, 
a lazy approach, I guess. Well, and I think, again, start small. Mm-hmm. So like maybe one hour a week or whatever, you know, is this free playtime in, in nature? And then it's educating people. You know, it's educating parents. It's it's showing them, you know, what it is that you're doing and how this meets standards and and how it's working in other places and other schools. Find the public schools that are doing this. Yep. Partner with people. I mean, that's huge, too. And, and that's another reason that, that I see this movement growing is because more and more people are partnering. Schools are partnering with each other. We've got the foundations that are willing to give them money if they see the benefits. Mm-hmm. And then the, the school systems, you know, trying to find those people in the school system who at the upper level can give you that support that that will help to make this grow throughout the system. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just reaching out and, and, and looking for those folks. Now, on the other end of things, for all the entrepreneurs out there, what I thought was cool about your story was how the the way you told the story, you made it seem like you're like, you know what, I want to start a forest school. and it was an exciting time for you, but at the same time, you, you had to have been nervous and worried too about kind of changing career paths like that and diving into something like that. So what advice do you have for people that maybe aren't a public school teacher right now, or maybe are and want to transition into starting their own for school? Right. Well, I'm one of those people that absolutely embraces risk. Okay. <laughs> and I enjoy it. I enjoy the challenges of things. For me, it was not a huge challenge that first year because I found the person who had the property and Mm -hmm. was already in that mindset. She wanted nature to be a bigger part of of children's lives. So that was easy. It really was easy. There wasn't a real challenge. I already had my students. So we started every everything was already provided. So when you start it from nothing, then if you can find the place, the next thing is just getting the word out. And I'm telling you right now, people are searching for it. So that's the good news. This is is the time for forest school movement to shine. And it is. Everyone across the nation right now, all the forest schools are seeing this huge surge. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a number of of trainees, former trainees, you know, who have started schools. And I'm hearing back from them that they're doubling their enrollment. Some are going to find another site because they don't have enough room on their site right now. Hmm. So this is the perfect time. If you're thinking about doing it, I suggest now's the time. Yeah. And our greatest way of spreading the word about Wahatchee School was just word of mouth. We didn't spend, a, we didn't have a budget for marketing. We didn't need it. You know, people were excited about it. They told their friends. And pretty soon we just had all these folks that were, that wanted to be, a, you know, participate in it. We did have a website. So I encourage, of course, you to, the website and social media is huge. But if you want to do it, like I said, now's the time. If you've got a place for it, that's perfect. You might, people are going to parks, you know, state parks, city parks. We're finding partnerships all over the place uh, with people who have the property, have a piece of land. And all you need to do is just say, can I do this there? And they can say yes, or they might say, no, you can't. But it's really not that difficult anymore because people, there's this growing movement. And you don't need to big build some huge building and pay the no, overhead fees for all that kind of stuff. That's the yep. beauty of it. Truly, there was no investment when we started Wahatchee School. Again, we hmm. had a place. We didn't yep. need a building. We didn't have a building. We just used, a, a, Diana found, a, it was one of those little gazebos that has like a canvas roof that's movable. 
That yeah. was our shelter to start with. When our family decided they wanted to build us a permanent one. It's just one wall with a roof and posts hmm. in the front. That's all we needed. Wow. And a couple of picnic tables under there. So truly, it does not take a large amount of money to start a forest school, depending on where you are. Yeah, which that that's very inspiring to me and I'm sure to anyone who listens to this, especially yeah. right now when economically times are tough for a yeah. lot of people. I mean, it's it's a low a low fund way to start something really, really wonderful. Yep. So, I mean, I, and I'm, and I'm happy to help people. Obviously that's my, that's what I want to see. I just want to see mm -hmm. it spread far and wide. So whatever I can do to help people accomplish that, that's what I, my job is right now. Yeah. Good. Well, before last, last thing to talk about before we sign off, do you want to explain in a little more detail your teacher Institute yeah, for four I'd schools? Love, yeah, I'd love to. Well, in the past, my training has always been in person uh, right here at Wahatchee School. People would come here uh, and it lasted anywhere from two days to a week. Okay. So, and I've had a, a group from China came uh, back in 2018. I think I had six teachers here from China, spent two weeks with me. Uh, so I've had them come and from South Africa and Korea. So a number of people have come from, you know, from other parts of the world to experience this. And then COVID hit. Hmm. And so I had to rethink, how do I do training now? Because I don't think it's probably safe to do in-person training anymore. So I said, okay, we're going virtual. Hmm. And honestly, I didn't know how it was going to work. I was really worried yeah. about it because that one-on-one -on -one FaceTime and seeing all these children out playing in person was such a huge part of what, what I did. Yep. But Brian, I'm happy to say that since we started, uh, it probably it was in May, late May, possibly first part of May, well over 50 teachers have participated in this at various levels. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's amazing. Exciting. And and it's actually working really well. <laughs> okay. I mean, we're doing Zoom meetings and and the probably the best part of this is I'm having my colleagues from around the world participate in the trainings by being instructors I've had a few that have participated as, as trainees and it's just added this depth to the program that's, that just helps us understand this is not just, a, you know, it's just not one of these little passing fads mm -hmm. happening around the world. And uh, so I have a teacher from South Africa. I have a teacher from Korea uh, who are helping with this, uh, with the teaching actual part of it. And then I've, I've been able to bring in some of my past trainees who are already running their own programs, hmm. also helping to teach and to participate in the sessions. So it's, it's working out beautifully. The observation part was the thing that I was most concerned about. How can we provide that opportunity? So we're using video clips of teach children out in the forest in various different settings. And the beauty of that is these are short clips. We watch them together, we debrief, and then we watch again, and then we hmm. watch again. So we're able to see it the, the same thing several different times, which you don't get when you're watching children. True. Person. So we're yep. able to kind of debrief and analyze them a little bit more than we would normally. So yeah, that's that part, cool. Yeah, that part's working out. And that was my biggest concern was the, the observation uh, angle of it. Yeah. And how do most teachers feel? when they come out of that training? Do they feel very confident, ready to go? And yeah. They actually do. They, I think a big part of it, of course, is just inspiration. Yep. Being able to, to work together, to meet other teachers who are wanting, who have the same goal and meeting those people that are already doing it. 
Uh, our South African instructor, uh, Amina Hussein, is from Cape Town. And she spent about a month with me in America a couple years ago. And she went back and it opened up the very first forest school in Cape Town and one of the few in South Africa. Wow. So she has this amazing story to tell. She's actually doing her program at a public park right on the ocean there at Cape Town. Wow. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's fabulous. And it's, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So I think teachers leave feeling very inspired and I feel like they, they leave knowing that they have the skills to go out and teach. And I also have a forest kinder or forest school director training program. So people who actually want to start their own program, I encourage them to take the teacher part first. So they really have a good understanding of what that means. And then the director actually helps them with the proposal and site development and hmm. marketing and all of those uh, skills that they need to have to actually start their own school. Yeah, okay. A number of them. I just finished a director course and I had three folks from California actually in this course, one of them in San Francisco and two in LA. So my San Francisco trainee, is he's been ready to start and, and he feels like now he's actually going to do what he planned to do in San Francisco. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, it's, 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 it's working. <laughs> yeah. It's that's great. Great news. So ideally, what would be the best location for something like this? Like if, if you could have everything exactly how you wanted it. Well, obviously having a place with lots of nice trees, mm -hmm. having, a, having woods is beautiful, but we've got people who are starting them on the seashore. Hmm. We have some schools in the desert Wow. Uh, and some schools are very farm oriented. So there's a lot of farming and gardening involved. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's outdoors. So where yep. do you live outdoors? You know, and you can make it work in a backyard even. Yeah. Teachers who have a nice large area at their home that they feel like, well, this could work for forest school. And, and that hmm. it does. Yeah. Cool. So it can happen anywhere. Yeah. Well, I know for sure you're leaving me feeling very inspired with this. So Good. I'm excited to look into it more and, and dive in deeper to the whole thing. Good, Brian. Well, that's, that's, so I appreciate yeah, that, that's what I'm doing. That's my, I feel like that's my role in life right now is just to, to help people understand that this is something our children absolutely need. It's not an option anymore. This is critical. Mm -hmm. It's critical for their well-being mentally, physically, and in every way. So, uh, and then helping teachers gain the skills they need to just go out and do it. Mm -hmm. Well, Jean, thank you very much for taking the time to share all of this, all of your knowledge and everything in forest schools. It's been great. It's been my pleasure. And I'm sorry, I, I, once you get me started, it's pretty hard to stop, Brian. Oh, same here. I, I wish I could keep going <laughs> for, forever with this stuff. I love it too. I mean, yeah. anytime we talk about what's best for kids in any shape or form, I mean, there's so many cool things out there that people are doing. So Absolutely. it's great to be able to hear your perspective on this. It's, it's my pleasure anytime.